Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today and uh, hope you're ready to study the Bible a little bit because that's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is try to answer as many of your questions as we can. Uh, and we get these questions from our viewing audience. You decide what we talk about on this program, which is a little bit unique, uh, but that's the way we do it. And we give you a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. Uh, and we'll get you an answer uh, if you uh, answer on ask your question on the website. We'll get you an emailed answer much quicker than we can get it on the air. So uh, do that if you'd like, or if you want a written answer, we can do that too. But uh, we just want to help you know your Bible a little bit, and we think this is a good way to do it. So we'll get started on our questions in a second, as soon as I enter, enter uh, <laughs> What are you doing? Introduce. I'm going to start and say interview, and I thought, I'm not interviewing him. I'm, this is Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Glad Good you're here. And hopefully the rest of the program will go better than I started it. So I'll let you uh, start with the first question after we give our viewing audience one, and this one's about John the Baptist and what he ate. Name two things in his diet, and uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know about John the Baptizer. Diet. Okay. All right, you take over. See if you can do better. All right. Well, I'll take over this interview. And <laughs> viewer wants to ask the question. Our pastor says he is an ordained minister with Christ's authority, so he can forgive sins. I don't think that sounds right. Uh, does the Bible give him that authority? Uh, well, I think your your uh, instinct is probably correct on this one. Uh, it. With the your pastor doesn't have the ability directly to forgive sins. Only Christ can do that, and he could do that because he was the Son of God. He's sinless. He's eternal, uh, and he paid the price for those sins. That's that that authority to forgive sins uh, is through Jesus alone. Now, I think I understand what your pastor is trying to say, is that you know he has the authorities ordained in Jesus to 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 forgive but my my suggestion to that would be he in that in that sense of forgiving sins um that's that power is contained within all Christians to forgive other people of of the ways when they've sinned against us to let sin go when it's wronged us uh, in that way he and anyone else who's in Jesus can forgive. But as you present it anyway, I, I agree. I don't think he, I don't think forgiveness comes through a pastor or any human being. Uh, it's the way that uh, God designed it is that uh, only Jesus himself and uh, it seems like those he gave it to had the direct authority to, to say your sins are forgiven. So uh, some verses you can study on this. If you want to look into it more for yourself, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, 
Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, and 1 John 2, 1 through 2. But as we, as, as you study those, uh, keep in mind that there's uh, a difference in forgiving sins personally, uh, again, of people who sinned against you versus maybe what he's talking about of just forgiving people generally. I think that is reserved for God uh, and, and Jesus, his son. Let's look at John 14, verse 6, which says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're seeking forgiveness, uh, you can simply pray to the Lord and and ask for forgiveness of those sins. And, of course, if you've wronged someone and in a way that requires you make restitution or make it right, a sign of your repentance would be uh, would be doing the right thing there. So I hope that helps you. Okay. I, I don't want to go down this road too far, but I just want to say something about that. Whenever we get a question like that, that my pastor says this or my pastor says that, we're getting it third hand. Yeah. And maybe he did say that, maybe he didn't. Yeah. And I'm always a little defensive of preachers <laughs> and <laughs> elders and things. Right. So uh, in a church, uh, the leadership, the elders in the Church of Christ, uh, do have authority to tell people that if if you want to repent of this sin and make things right, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to go to that person and personally ask them for forgiveness or something like that. So there's some latitude there uh, that maybe this person misinterpreted and right, uh, didn't understand what the, the preacher or the elder was telling them. Uh, so I'm not defending the idea that anybody has the right to spiritually forgive sins. That's mm-hmm. not taught in the Bible. Right. Uh, but there is within a local group of Christians some authority there that uh, a person with, might want to consider. As with many things on the program, our <laughs> answer depends a great deal on the interpretation of the yep. question. And the person, you know, ha- we, there's a lot of details we don't know. So, yeah, good point. Yep. Okay. Uh, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the Torah? Well, some of you may not have heard of the Torah, but the Jewish people talk about the Torah and studying the Torah. And the difference is the Old Testament consists of 39 books, Genesis uh, through Malachi, and the Torah is the first five books, the ones written by Moses. Uh, sometimes called the law, which is what the name Torah means, actually, is the law. Uh, there are five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the Torah. Uh, they contain the history of the Jewish people and the, the law and all that. So that's the difference. Torah's first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, the next question is, it says in Genesis, in Genesis it says two women were created for Adam. What happened to the first one? <clears throat> well, um, biblically speaking, uh, she's not in there. Uh, the, 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 the second, the, two, the idea of two women being created for Adam. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is quite clear uh, that there was one made for Adam. Uh, there is a mythological account of a, of a woman named Lilith, and that's, of course, an extra-biblical account. I believe it's fictional. Uh, and the Bible doesn't mention either in Genesis 2 or any other point in the scriptures the idea of a second uh, woman being created for Adam. 
Genesis only mentions one woman uh, made for Adam, and her name was Eve, uh, created unlike Adam, not from the dust of the ground, but from his side, uh, from a, a rib uh, taken from Adam while he was under divine anesthesia. So uh, I hope that uh, clarifies. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. <coughs> chapter 3, verse 20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And I, I think that's um, uh, to a broader point on this question. Uh, when we get questions, sometimes people ask about things that are not in the Bible, that are from other accounts, even, uh, ancient writings and Apocrypha and things like that. And, and in this program, our expertise or what we try to direct people is what's in the Scripture. So always be leery. There's no end to the sources and stories and things written, maybe a, about biblical characters, but then people add their own parts to that. And the Scriptures warn against that. So be very careful uh, in looking at Bible characters versus uh, ex extra Bible characters. <laughs> All right, let me talk to you about a good way to study the Bible real quickly there. Uh, we know a lot of our viewers are serious Bible students and spend a little time every day reading their Bible or uh, doing some kind of devotional time or meditation time, and uh, we applaud you for that. We think that's great, but we think everybody ought to spend a little time in the Bible, and we know that's hard to get started for some people. So we've got some tools we think are great ways to do that. Here's one course that we've got and been using for years and years. The first two lessons are the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, that gets you started right. If you don't understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you're going to have a lot of problems. So that's where that one starts. Then these four are some more advanced courses that we've got that you can go through. It'll take you quite a while to get through all of those. You can study uh, the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And then we've got an online course now that we're happy to have introduced a few weeks ago. And I hope some folks are taking note of that and signing up. Uh, go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and you'll get put in touch with us and find out how to do an online Bible study uh, with your tablet or your phone or your PC. Just sit down and uh, knock them out. You don't have to put them in an envelope and mail them back and forth and all that. So. Uh, we think that's going to be a great option for studying the Bible. Phone number and a website on the screen uh, all the time. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us you'd like a free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, interesting question here. If you've never been baptized, does that mean you won't go to heaven? Well, I'm sure our viewers watched enough to know that we do teach that baptism is necessary for salvation because that's what Jesus said. And a lot of people just have been taught that, no, that's not right. You don't need to be baptized. Uh, so if you're saying you do need to be baptized, that means you can't go to heaven if you don't. Uh, all right. The problem is I can't answer that question because that's a God question. God will determine who goes to heaven, and he will not make any mistakes. He's going to get it exactly right. Uh, a lot of people that have been taught that baptism is not necessary come up with all kinds of hypotheticals. Uh, we've probably received 10,000 hypotheticals over the year. What if? What if this? What if that? Uh, what if you decide you need to be baptized and you're walking into the baptistry and you fall down and crack your head and die right there before you were baptized? 
what's God going to do about that? Well, God will handle that. If that ever happens, uh, he'll take care of it. He knows exactly what was in people's hearts. Uh, he knows what you were able to do and what you weren't able to do. He'll figure it out, and I'm not too worried about it. But I can't answer that big question. If you've never been baptized, that means you can't go to heaven. All I can do, and all we've ever done on Know Your Bible, is tell you what the Bible says about baptism. It's really pretty simple, and we've repeated a number of times because we get a lot of questions about baptism. And we usually start with the fact that Jesus himself said baptism was necessary. He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. Uh, you've got to work to not understand that. You've got to have somebody dream up some some Greek construction that's very spurious and try to explain that away because everybody that heard Jesus say that understood it. Uh, they were baptized. Uh, bapti- baptism is when we receive the forgiveness of sins. Peter said that in Acts 2.38. People said, what do we do? He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, Baptism, the the water is not what forgives our sins, but when God promised he would forgive our sins. It's the point at which it happens. Baptism is when we are united with Jesus. When we come in contact with his blood and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, Romans 6, Paul says we were all baptized into his death. That's when it happens. Uh, baptisms when we become children of God. Galatians, Paul said that. Uh, baptism is when we're added to the church. Baptism is when we get into the body of Christ. Uh, the Bible says all of those things <clears throat> about baptism. Every case of conversion to Christ in the Bible you find ends in baptism. So uh, we think it's pretty clear. Now we understand it's the blood of Jesus that saves us. It's not the water that saves us. Uh, but but when we obey what Christ told us to do, uh, that's the answer of a good conscience, that we're doing what he said. And that just makes sense to us. So we tell you what the Bible says, and we hope that you understand that and obey Christ in baptism. Let me just read you one verse uh, from the story of the conversion of Saul. And Saul had all sorts of things happen to him. He saw Jesus. He confessed Jesus as Lord. Uh, He was miraculously healed. He fasted and prayed for three days. Uh, All of those things happened to him. And then the preacher came and told him, uh, about Jesus and all that. And here's what Acts 22.16 says. The preacher said to Saul, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Uh, the preacher told him very clearly, after all these things that have happened to you, you've still got sin problems, and you will wash those away in baptism, at the time of baptism. Now, Saul did not say, well, what if, what if I don't? Can I go to heaven if I don't? Uh, Saul didn't reason that way. Saul figured, okay, the Lord told me to do this. I will do that. Uh, He didn't say, does that mean I have to be baptized? He didn't say that. He just arose and was baptized, the Bible goes on to tell us. Uh, So we think that's the proper obedient spirit and 
We think that's what the Bible says about baptism. Uh, we can't answer what God is going to do about every what if in the world, but he'll get it perfectly right. Uh, our responsibility is once we know what the Bible says, is to do what the Bible says. So hopefully that answers our viewer's question there. All right, and a good answer. Uh, the next question is, will aborted and miscarried babies go to heaven? Um, the question probably stems from some teaching uh, from different religion religious groups. Uh, there are some who believe that you are, the human beings are born in sin, that they're sinful in their nature and that birth, and uh, the logical conclusion would be if, if uh, a child died uh, in an unsaved state, that it, it would immediately go to hell. Uh, this is uh, comes from some Calvinist teaching. Uh, there's also a doctrine called limbo, and it's, uh, in my mind, as I, best as I understand it, just theological speculation. It doesn't come from any idea in the Bible. We believe that uh, uh, all people, or uh, that all babies, uh, when they're uh, born and uh, very young children, are safe in God's eyes. Uh, that God deals with them mercifully and does absolutely not send them to hell. Um, God knows them. He created them. God doesn't create evil. And uh, they are innocent. They are uh, not guilty of of any kind of sin. And God doesn't hold them accountable in any sort of way. Uh, that's his heart. Um, unborn babies, by the way, are, are the scriptures are quite clear. Psalm 139 makes it quite clear that, that people are considered living beings even in the womb. And, uh, and they are just as innocent. And so aborted babies, miscarried babies, um, uh, yes, will be safe in God's hands. And the Bible doesn't speak. There's not a verse that I can point you to directly. Uh, there's a story in Second Samuel chapter 12 of uh, David, King David, uh, losing a child and the, the story behind that child. But the, the child got very sick and David began to... to uh, a fast and, and he wouldn't eat and he wouldn't be consoled. Well, the child died. And uh, as soon as he heard that the child died, he got up, he washed his face, he, he uh, began to eat like normal. And his servants were concerned. Why would he act this way before the child died and then another way after the child died? And David's answer, I think, was telling. He says, uh, when, I, when the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. He, David knew that child, uh, even though he couldn't save that child, and the child, child died very young. Uh, he could go to where the child was, and I think that should give us hope. So if you've had a miscarriage, I'm so sorry for your loss, um, and that's a terrible thing. Abortion's a terrible thing, uh, but we know that those babies are safe and uh, that they're in perfect place and they won't suffer anymore. Uh, let's look at Psalm 139, which I mentioned earlier, verses 13 and 14. For you knit... knit formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My, my soul knows it very well. Uh, yeah, babies are safe, and, and uh, I hope that helps you understand a little bit more. Okay. Can dying people speak 
to people who have already passed on. All right, so if somebody's on their deathbed and dying, is there a situation there where they're talking to their uh, spouse who has died before them or their mother or father or something like that? And my answer is I, I doubt it, but I don't know. Uh, there's no empirical evidence that proves it. Uh, we hear stories sometimes from somebody that had a near-death experience, we call it, that says they saw certain things or they saw a bright light or they talked to an angel. Uh, they certainly believe it, uh, but we don't know how the mind works and we don't know exactly what happens in that situation. Uh, most people don't come back and tell us about it. Uh, they go ahead and die, so we don't know. Uh, so I, I don't think it happens, but I've got no way of proving it. And i got no way of being for sure. The Bible does say some things about trying to talk to the dead. And it says we shouldn't do that. Now, I realize that's a different thing than somebody on their deathbed having a connection to the, the next world. But uh, let me just read one verse about that in case you kind of get the two confused. Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Old Testament. Uh, the law says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who's a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And there's a whole list there. The reason I put them all up is all of those have to do with dealing with the other world, of consulting the dead or trying to be a medium between the dead and the living, uh, divination or sorcery. All of those are things that don't trust things to God. Uh, mankind takes over and tries to deal with the other world himself, and God says that's detestable. Don't do that. Stay away from it. So I know that's not exactly what our viewer asked, but I thought I'd add that in case somebody wondered. Uh, can dying people speak to people who did people who've already passed on? I don't think so, but I can't prove it one way or another. Take just a moment, and I invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ and individual Christians that support this ministry, and we like to thank a few of them each time. Uh, today, let's talk about the Southeastern Church of Christ in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, our partner up there, a great bunch of folks that uh, are serious about the Bible and want people in their area to know their Bible, so they help us keep the program on the air, and we appreciate it. Um, if you live in any market of uh, watching Know Your Bible, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Give them a call or visit. You'd be warmly welcomed by any of them, especially the southeastern bunch in South Dakota. All right, Toby, got an easy one for yeah, you here. Not, not to, just kind of get toward the end of the program and answer this one real quick. <laughs> what does God look like? Well, we do not know the answer to that, of course. Um, God, uh, John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in him spirit and in truth. And it's so hard to wrap our mind around the idea of a spiritual being because we are fleshly beings. We Everything we deal with deals with what we see and what we can hear and, and, and what it looks like. Uh, we're, uh, the scriptures... Uh, says that when David was being selected for king, uh, the prophet said, a man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. 
Well, and he's not even speaking about the physical heart. He's talking about the inner part. God, God is spiritual and looks at the spiritual nature of people. So God cannot be seen. He doesn't look like anything. He doesn't have an eye color, a hair color, a skin color. Probably doesn't even have an age. You know, some people picture him with white hair and a long beard because that would what an old person would look like. But, but God is beyond time. So he's not a physical being. We can't see him with our physical eyes. And so I'm sorry, I cannot give you a physical description, but I do know that one day if we're in Christ, we'll get to see him. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. The scripture says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to know uh, how exactly to describe the Lord. All righty. Viewer says, I have trouble following the King James Bible. I heard you mention the new King James. Is it easier to read, and does it stay true to the original meaning? Well, our viewers hit upon a couple of things there that are important in picking a Bible. Uh, how easy is it to read, and how accurate is it to the original uh, manuscript? And that's what we look for. And the, the trick is that the easier it gets to read, uh, the more different it is from the original manuscripts, usually. So hitting a happy medium there is why we, uh, what we want when we pick a Bible translation. Now specifically, the New King James is easier to read than the original King James Version because King James was written in 1611 and it's got 1611 uh, terminology in it, words and phrases. And uh, I'll show you that in just a second. The second question was, it, is it true to the original meaning? And I'd say generally accepted. Uh, New King James is a pretty good translation. So if you like the, the poetry, the beauty of the King James, and you'd like something a little easier to read, New King James is a good choice for you. Let me show you one verse from both <coughs> translations, and it'll ex help you see. First uh, John 3.17, King James says this, But whoso hath his world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, stop there a second. We, we don't say, whoso, and seeth, and shutteth, and dwelleth. Uh, we don't say those words anymore. So it's a little hard to follow. And we certainly don't talk about bowels of compassion. Uh, now, they did in 1611. They thought people's compassion came from their heart. And that's kind of where we feel it when we're really compassionate for somebody. Our stomach kind of turns over. So <coughs> feels like it's kind of in there. But the new King James straightened it out this way or cleaned it up a little bit. says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? A little easier to understand. We get what John was saying. He said if you talk about having compassion for people, uh, but you don't do anything when you see somebody in need, then how are you loving them? Uh, both of them say the same thing. Just a little easier to follow the new King James. So I hope that, hope that helps you understand that. Uh, we're glad you've been with us today, and we want to get, make sure we get our trivia question answered before we get out of here. Name two things in John the Baptist's diet. And actually, it's the only two things we know he ate. The Bible tells us he ate locusts and wild honey. 
Uh, the wild honey sounds pretty good to me, but I'm <laughs> not down with that locust thing. Locust. <laughs> We're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week for more of your questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.